0: Welcome back to another episode of Rubrics, a St. Timothy's podcast, where Father Luke Klingstead and I spend about 30 minutes to an hour talking about uh, theology, liturgy, scripture, pastoral practice, whatever's going on Mm -hmm. um, in in the world, in our parish, and today, of course, we are right in the middle of the holiest of all the weeks of the year, especially to Christians. This is Holy Week, and we have uh, finished... Gosh, I didn't count. We have so many liturgies this week. Um, We had Palm Sunday with three masses, two with a procession of palms. We have two masses um, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, including morning prayer and evening prayer. And then after Wednesday, we turn into uh, the three holy days, Mm -hmm. the Triduum Sacrum, which we'll talk about in a moment. There is one main liturgy per day. We still have morning and evening prayer. And devotions like Stations of the Cross on Friday, but this is the—it's um, busy at the same time. It's very still, and mm-hmm. it's an odd place to be, which is the an appropriate framing mm-hmm. of of having lots to do in terms of we are walking with our Lord in the right. last days of His life. We're marking them liturgically. But at the same time, there is a a stillness in the church, like today, for instance, some of our normal things are suspended. The office has had a bit of a a calm, I felt, Um, we we were able to focus on this week. And that is our prayer for not just clergy and those who work in the Mm -hmm. church, but that all of us may have a moment to pause and meditate on, on what is happening. And then to take advantage of the church's offerings mm. to mark these days with our Lord so that when we come to Easter Day, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have this holy exhaustion because yeah. we've we've entered into this week in Palm Sunday, but we've actually entered into something and we've had the emotional highs and lows, the spiritual highs and lows. We've come face to face with Jesus. We've come face to face with ourselves. We've come face to face with the ills of the world. And then when we come on Sunday morning, there actually is good news, mm-hmm. which we hear with with aching hearts with ears that have been itching to hear that proclamation. And even though we know it's coming, there are no surprises for us. Yet at the same time, because of our preparation, because of our Lenten disciplines and journey and the drama and fatigue of Holy Week, Easter is a true celebration. We we raise our voices and and proclaim our our praises.
1: Amen. Well, let me open us in prayer, and then we will... Dive headfirst into um, Psalm 22 and the Triduum and the liturgies there, and uh, continue our discussion about that. Today is Wednesday in Holy Week, and each of the days in Holy Week have their own collect. So this is for Wednesday in Holy Week. Let us pray. O Lord God, whose blessed Son our Savior gave His back to the smiters, and hid not His face from shame. Grant us grace to take joyfully the sufferings of the present time, in full assurance of the glory that shall be revealed. Through the same Thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with Thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
0: Before you go into Psalm 22, it's important to note that this is your first Holy Week in the clerical state, and of course you're two weeks from being ordained a priest, how I haven't asked you this, how has this holy Week thus far been different for you um as a as a deacon as yeah. compared to previous years?
1: I think it's been the perfect example of actually what I think everyone can experience, which is however much you put into Lent and Holy Week, you will get that much out um and so, you know, writing a, a brief three-minute sermon each day and really wrestling with the scriptures and kind of just being aware of everything that's happening um, to a different level than maybe I was in the past, I'm getting more out of it. Um, and it really is that perfect example of, you know, it, it, I think in so many things you, you never want to set your expectations too high, yeah. and then you get disappointed. I've never found that to be the case for Holy Week. I've always found that if you enter into it with with high expectations and, and really dive in head first they're always going to be exceeded and so I, I have found it to be um, much more enriching for me um, I feel like there is that holy exhaustion but um, there's a joy I mean kind of underlying all of it that I feel like every single day especially this week I have found something that has stood out to me um, the the one that you know first comes to mind is the preface from um, the missile that we've been doing. Of the cross. Yes, I I think it's been the same every day this week. So I've heard it, you know, five times. I'm about to hear it a sixth time um, in just an hour. And it has that wonderful line that that he who was the vanquisher through the tree, I'm talking about Satan, is now vanquished by the tree of the cross. Um, And every time I hear that, it kind of hits me in a different way. And so, you know, hearing that five times, that's been one thing that... You know, not everyone is, is going to all six of these masses, um, and they, they they're not expected to. But we're serving them, so we're there for each one. So I've heard it five times. It has really you know sunk into my into my skin, um, and I find myself repeating it. So yeah, it really is that perfect example of, however much you put in, you're you're going to get more out. Um, so it's it's been a neat experience.
0: There's a wonderful altar piece. Um, it's the it's a painted frontal of the altar of Saint Cyprian's Clarence Gate in London. I'm going off memory. I'm almost certain this is exactly what's depicted. There are two panels, one on top of the other. The bottom panel is of Adam and Eve, and you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that kind of root coming from it, and then it weaves up and then weaves into. I'm not mistaken, uh, the cross yeah. making in, cool. in, in in an iconographic statement the the message of the preface yeah. is that the the vanquisher on the tree in, in Genesis now is now vanquished mm-hmm. from the tree of Jesus Christ being um, on the cross. What I have found different this year is your involvement has enabled me to actually listen. And so yeah. for this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I'm the celebrant, but I'm not preaching. And you're mm-hmm. reading the the passion narrative from, according to the old prayer book, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Correct. And then we'll do John and the... Well, we did Matthew, Palm Sunday. Matthew, Palm Mark Sunday. Mark on
1: Monday, Tuesday. Luke today. And then obviously we have
0: John. Yes, exactly. And Hearing it from the different perspectives and to sit there and listen has been has been a, has been a great gift for me. What I always find, and this will lead into what you want to talk about, what I always find refreshing and surprising in Holy Week is how much of the liturgies are saturated in Holy Scripture. Mm-hmm. And by Holy Scripture, I mean the Old Testament. Yeah, it's everywhere. Right. Um I've got my Bible open to to Micah six. I just finished my Good Friday homily yesterday, and I'm preaching on the reproaches, yeah these these uh, it's a very ancient anthem from at least the ninth century, and parts come from the Byzantine right before then, where we have the imagined words of Jesus from the cross mm-hmm. taken from Old Testament prophets. And the one that we'll hear 10 times on Good Friday comes from Micah uh, 6, uh, 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. And yeah. so that is the refrain 10 times during the veneration of the cross. And it's it's powerful, wounding language, mm-hmm. but it comes from, it comes from Micah. And the liturgies of the daily mass, all the different bits and pieces of the minor propers are just Scripture. Yeah. And it lets us know is that what we are entering into is what the nation of Israel was longing for and yeah. looking for and hoping for, but they had no idea what was unfolding before their right. eyes. They, yeah. they were longing for what, what this brought about, but they did not imagine it would come about in this way. And, and what you want to talk about is Psalm 22. Correct. Which we will, from beginning to end in Holy Week, we'll have heard no fewer than three times.
1: Yeah. Palm Sunday, um, stripping of the altar on Monday, Thursday, then Good Friday. <clears throat> we hear it constantly. And um, I'm always amazed when it comes around. People know it, um, but how many people maybe miss some of the depth there. Um, Psalm 22 is... I mean, all over the place, wild in its depth, and it has so much so much richness there. So it It's be- like a play-by-play play of Good Friday. It really is, yeah, which is why we read it yeah. and, and why it has, you know, commanded so much attention, but it begins with, you know, the famous line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, we know that because that is what Jesus quotes on the cross, and right off the bat, I think most people know this, but it bears repeating Um they didn't know this as Psalm 22. You know, they, they knew it by its first line. Um, this is why, you know, Jesus in the scriptures doesn't, doesn't say like on the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it was said in Deuteronomy 8, whatever. Yeah. He says, it has been written, or you have heard it was said. And then he'll quote the scriptures. They didn't have chapters and verses. And so when Jesus says this on the cross, he is referencing Psalm 22. He's not literally saying that the Trinity has been split, um, that the Father and the Son you know the idea that the father has turned his back and separated himself from the son that, that doesn't make sense theologically and the and the real meaning of what's happening it is happening, his humanity crying out it is yes. and and he's aligning himself with a psalm of lament it is not as if he's not suffering but there's no you know trinitarian rupture um, that, that that doesn't happen but um, if we start going through psalm 22 you start to see some of some of all of this this depth but it's a psalm of lament And um, in it, you know, it's a Psalm of David just crying out, feeling forsaken. And yet, in several places throughout it, we get these messages of hope and deliverance. And so, you you know, you have scorned by others, despised by the people, feeling forsaken. Then you get verse 9. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. And then we go into, I am poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and is melted within my breast. Again, obvious references to what happens in crucifixion. And yet then verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. So again, that that interjection of hope and deliverance. And then again, you know, verses of lament. And then verse 24. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard me when I cried to him. Again, this, you know, lament, and yet there's hope. Lament, forsakenness, and yet there is deliverance. But one of the verses I want to look specifically at real quick is 12 and 13, because I think it helps us understand what is happening in the crucifixion. I think a lot of people know what the crucifixion is. They know Jesus died for their sins. But what is actually happening? um, And why is this so monumentally important? Um, This is not just, you know, for the Jews in Rome. This is a worldwide cataclysmic event. Um, Verses 12 and 13, we get this weird reference. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan, Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and a roaring lion. So we see uh, Bashan show up a lot in the Psalms. Um, we pray it. We for I'm blanking on which Psalm it is, but King Og of Bashan. Um, Bashan is a or was a region near Mount Sinai um, or near Mount Hermon, and it basically was the realm of the Canaanites. And so and there's a lot, a lot of you know, depth and history here in Canaanite religion, but it basically becomes the place where they think that their kings who become like gods go when they die. It's almost this Sheol-like state of, you know, their deified kings. It, it really is this religious place that is dripping with worship of Baal or the Canaanite gods. Um, King Og, I think it's in Deuteronomy, um, they talk about his bed and it's, and it's, you know, nine cubits by four. It's, it's a huge bed. Basically saying that he is one of the last um, Rephaim, one of the last giants from Genesis 6. We get that weird passage about, you know, the sons of, or daughters of Eve, you know, and we get the giants. Um, king Og is one of those last people. He is king over Bashan. And so, Psalm 22, we get this weird line thrown in. Why would... Bashan be, be referenced here? And then why does Jesus reference it on the crucifixion? And basically what, what is happening here is when, when Jesus, when God, excuse me, claims Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, he, he pushes out all the other gods. So Tower of Babel, all the nations scatter, they spread over the earth. And then God begins kind of claiming lands for his own. He claims Mount Sinai and says, this is where I'm going to dwell. Then he claims the promised land. They kick out the false gods there. He claims that for its own. And people are waiting for, when's he going to claim the whole world? He's claimed Mount Sinai. He's claimed his own people, the Israelites. But what about all the other nations? And we get this line here. Imagine Jesus on the cross referencing Psalm 22, and people know this is a psalm about the false gods, the bulls of Bashan, all the false deities, you know, worship of Baal, the Canaanites, they surround me. Um, I think it's a picture of they think they've won. Here is Jesus, supposedly this new king of Israel, and he's dying on the cross. And they're like a pack of dogs, um, later is how it describes them, circling around him, almost laughing. We, we, We did it. We won. We've killed him. And then we know what the rest of the story is, is Jesus basically succumbs to the powers of darkness to show that he still has power over them. He, he becomes death to show that death doesn't have a grip over him. So it's a really interesting psalm that, um, and then you, 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 know, you skip ahead to the, the last few verses, um, 27 and 28. Here's the point. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. When Jesus stands there on the cross and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is linking himself to this psalm of lament. And if you were a a good Israelite and, and a good Jew and knew your psalms, you would know this is a psalm prophesying the Messiah, who finally, finally, once and for all, Defeats all of the bulls of Bashan, all the false gods, all the false nations. They think they've won, but he finally subdues them and has saved the entire world. That's the depth of what's happening on the cross. That is why it is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles too. It's for all of the nations.
0: And let's let's be clear. You're talking about a, a metaphor, and also how the how the Jews saw the the progression of God's victory. It's not yeah. as if God is competing with other gods. Correct, correct. It's not as if um, God were, was claiming lands because he had no control. Yeah. Yeah. But as they understood the development of their relationship with God, right. that's how they experienced it. Yeah, and that's it, how, how kind of the that. Old
1: Testament takes us through the Israelites doing that, is, you know, they begin with Sinai. Yep. Then they get the promised land. Then there's this promise that now you can be a blessing to all the nations, and, and they kind of fail on that and God's plan is to send his only son. I mean that's how, you know, God's plan unfolds in the scriptures. You're right. It's not as if um, you know, Psalm 22 is maybe one day God will win. No, he's already won and this is this is how it's There it is was no all. competition. Correct. This is how it's accomplished. Said. Which is the funny part about the cross. There is no competition and yet the powers of darkness for a moment think they've won.
0: Um, There's no competition with God, but there is competition with us, as right. as we've talked about before. The world, the flesh, and the devil yeah. is, is what we do battle with. What I'm always um, yearly struck by in Psalm 22, and I mentioned earlier play-by-play play of the crucifixion, Right. if you go to verse 6, these are things that we say every Friday at the stations of the cross. But I am a worm and no man, mm-hmm. scorned by men and despised by all people. Verse seven: All who see me mock me. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that from. And they shake their, head, they shake or their heads. They wag their heads. We That's... know that from from the mocking he received both right. before he was on the cross and while he was on the cross. Mm-hmm. We see this, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. We heard that from the the Passion Narratives. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. We go down even further to um, verse 14. I am poured out like water. We know that from his side flowed water Mm -hmm. and blood. All my bones are out of joint. We know that um, his... He was dead before they broke the bones. Mm-hmm. That's another
1: fulfillment of prophecy we'll see it's elsewhere. Even Even the next line, my heart is like wax, uh, melted. I love this because um, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, it took me a while to understand what is crucifixion. It's, it's suffocation. Yep. You're, you're, your chest feels like it's on fire because you can't breathe. And so my, my heart is like wax and it is melted. Um, it really is a play-by-play of the suffering he experienced.
0: His strength is dried up like a potsherd. Yeah. My tongue cleaves, cleaves to my mouth. What did he say? I, I thirst. thirst. Then we, we go down, um, verse 17. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my gar- garments among mm-hmm. them, and for my raiment they cast yeah. lots. I think it was yesterday, and Mark's... Mm-hmm. Gotten which gospel? No, it's um, John's gospel we, we see where they divide his garments into four pieces right. and they cast lots for his tunic, which was seamless, and they didn't want to tear it, a fulfillment of uh, of the prophecy. Right. We go down uh, even further. Uh, where was it? A couple other places. Um, well, shoot, I forget what I was going next. Um, oh, here we are also from... From stations of the cross, from our liturgy, for he was despised and abhorred, mm-hmm. the affliction of the afflicted, and he hid not his face from him. Almost every word is remembered in the liturgy of the church, right. uh, either connection to devotion, like the stations of the cross, or it's we we say this, um, in, in or it's remembered in the in the gospels mm-hmm. in the passion itself. But if you're looking for a devotion to carry with you during this holy week. Psalm twenty-two is is an extraordinarily powerful, yeah. surprising sure. meditation
1: to keep with you as we make our journey towards Sunday. I'm always amazed at <clears throat> picturing standing there at the cross <clears throat> and hearing Jesus reference, you know, the first line of this psalm. And maybe you haven't maybe you haven't got it yet. Maybe you see him being crucified, and you're wondering what is going on, what is happening. And then he makes this reference, and I imagine some of the people starting to go through in their mind, Psalm 22, my bones are, I can count all my bones, my heart is melted like wax, my mouth is, tr-. and seeing it unfold in front of their very eyes, um, being struck with that, I mean, what a what a moment of revelation to make that connection, and to say, you know, my, my God, why are you doing this? Um, and then to, and to then to see Jesus kind of respond by saying, I'm the suffering servant. I mean, this is how I am redeeming the world. And and you even get little snippets of people who start to make the connection in the passion stories. The centurion, mm-hmm. surely this was um, the son of God. I mean, you, you get kind of people who are starting to make that connection. And then obviously after his resurrection, And he starts explaining these things. Um, People really make that connection of of what just happened.
0: I love the juxtaposition devotionally with Psalm 22 leading right into Psalm 23 that everyone knows. Yeah, Especially verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You made a, a comment early on that... The Trinity wasn't divided on the cross when Jesus right. says, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" And that is why the the cross is the victory over death, mm-hmm. because the Trinity was not divided. Even though the humanity of Jesus did die, right. did suffer, right. it was not separated from the divinity. Right. So when when the when the when the soul of our Lord, the human soul of our Lord, um, goes down to to Hades, to hell, God is with him. Yeah. And that's where the power of death is ended. Yeah. And that's also where the, uh, the the fear of death no longer has a sting because, right. because Jesus Christ has gone to that place that terrifies us the most and has come back and has said, Do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Peace be with you. The comment that I'm making um, on Good Friday is, is that death is the most isolating of all the moments in human existence. Mm -hmm. You're going to die alone. And in death... No one's doing it with you. And in death, there is isolation. Mm -hmm. Even if you die with someone else, you die alone. Mm -hmm. And that is partly what is so terrifying about what death is. Mainly because in most everything in this life, if there's something that we are going to experience that gives us anxiety, someone has lived through it and can tell us about it not death not death mm-hmm. but when when jesus dies death loses its power because that isolation has now been overcrowded with the holy trinity mm-hmm. because not only is the son of the father with the humanity of Jesus the united one person but the trinity cannot be divided Correct. so now you have the father yeah. you have the holy spirit and and death has been overpopulated with the good news of right. god and and this power is broken and that is the good news and that's why the cross is so central to our understanding of the victory of Jesus Christ it's not Merely that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. That's the new life. That is mm-hmm. that is our invitation to a resurrected life. But the victory
1: comes on the cross. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's almost a joke, right? That that Jesus is, you know, not necessarily playing a prank on Satan. But, you know, Satan wants Jesus. He, he gets his humanity. And then he gets more than he signed up for. All of a sudden, the Father Correct. and the Spirit and the whole Godhead, um, you know, vanquishes into the gates of Sheol. And, you know, everything is blown open. Um, one of the, you know, points I love about starting with the crucifixion, and we've made this point before, that you start with Jesus and that unlocks all the rest of the scriptures. So when you get to, and I was trying to find it, I can't find the exact reference, but um, in the Psalms where it says, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do we see that and actually understand how is God in Sheol? How is God in the Roman dead? It's with Jesus Christ. Um, When the psalmist wrote that, you know, we don't have the full meaning until Jesus Christ shows up, and all of a sudden we understand the harrowing of hell, Jesus descending to the dead. Um, he becomes death and shows that it cannot hold us. Um, it, it really does show how Jesus is that key that unlocks even the Psalms that were written ages and ages before him. Psalm 22 is the most obvious example, but there's ones all over the place.
0: And when we die, and we will die, we are we, we, we will experience the, the pain of death, but mm-hmm. not the sting because we're not alone. Right. Because in Jesus Christ, he's in us. We are in him. We are never alone. And we pass through the, the gate of death mm-hmm. into uh, a new reality, uh, eternal life in him. And we find a different meaning and a deeper meaning in Psalm 23. It's not simply that when I'm scared in this life, he is with me. It's when my life ends here, yeah. he is with me and and ushers
1: me into everlasting life in himself. Let's let's pivot a little bit to the triduum. Um the next 3 days and I I'd be curious to hear what are some of the highlights for you um in years past and maybe what are you looking forward to most this year of all those three services and maybe mention for a second we've we've been doing two liturgies two masses every day. Tomorrow there's one service, one on Monday Thursday, one on Good Friday one on the Great Vigil. Why is that?
0: Well, because Monday Thursday is the institution, well, for a couple of things. One is the Chujum, the Three Holy Days, should be viewed at as one long liturgical right. event that is that has pauses. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, if you look at how the liturgies begin and end, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Monday Thursday is the institution of the Holy Eucharist, which also means it's the institution of the priesthood. Right. We are back in the upper room for the Last Supper. And we should do that once, mm-hmm. one liturgy. Because what comes along with that is, of course, the stripping of the altar. Right. And you, you don't strip the altar and then, and then put, it back, put it back and then, and then, strip, then it. strip it again. Yeah. Now I know that we like on Palm Sunday, we had two processions. Right. Ideally we should have one one big event, but mm-hmm. pastorally, two processions, Palm Sunday in that procession is not quite the same thing as, as what you have on, on Monday Thursday. Um, what am I looking forward to? Well, as a priest, I renew my own priesthood mm-hmm. in that Mass. And, and I do so in a dramatic way in the washing of the feet, right. where the, the directions are are for the priest and there's a line that says that I may recall whose servant I am, yeah. that I may, wa- I may wash these feet. For me personally, that is where I felt my call to the altar when I was a boy, was at a Monday-Thursday service. Okay. And so that has a, a unique renewal moment for me. But to, to give thanks for the great gift, which is the Holy Eucharist, which is the foundation of my life as a Christian, certainly is my foundation in my priesthood, which is why we, we say Mass as often as we can, to have a moment to give thanks for that great gift and to meditate on what mm-hmm. that gift actually is. And that's obviously the subject of, of my homily on, on Monday, Thursday. Good Friday is the one that, Moves me the most in the sense, the music is ancient and powerful, and the veneration of the cross, for me, is uh, the highlight. And I say a highlight because I'm it wounds me. Yeah, it's not that I enjoy it, but I I'm I I feel, and I've been to I've had the great privilege of being on Calvary, on three different not three different occasions. I've been there dozens of times, but over three different trips to the Holy Land. And I feel, this is the truth, I feel uh, as close to the crucifixion at the veneration of the cross as I do at the very place where Mm. it happened. And that's the power of the liturgy. I truly feel feel like I'm there and connected. And to hear the reproaches makes me conjure up what have I done yeah. to him? And to and to understand, and this is the point of my homily on Good Friday, is that we're, we're called to answer that question, what have we done to Je- Jesus? Jesus mm-hmm. has done nothing to deserve this, but we have done all of this to him. Mm-hmm. I have participated, even though it happened 2,000 years ago, I am a participant in his betrayal, denial, crucifixion. Yes. I, am, I have a responsibility to that but he went to the cross knowing my responsibility and knowing my culpability and he willingly went to forgive me of that yeah. to to restore me from that so while i have to come to terms with my own participation in this at the same time he went there so that i could be forgiven right and all of that is just the 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 concept of that kind of dramatic unimaginable mercy, which as human beings we are unable to to replicate, is overwhelming, and the liturgy is able to convey that in a way that my homiletical skill and your homiletical skill just simply can't yeah, do. We can't. Nor should we try. That's the power of it, because it's bodily. And what I really love about Good Friday, and maybe this year will be different, I hope not, is that the veneration of the cross is... I, it's been here since I've been here. Yeah, um, I didn't. In, I didn't start it. I just introduced it. Correct to Saint Timothy. in the prayer book. And when we first did it, gosh, fourteen years ago. However long it's been, fifteen years ago, a handful of people yeah. would go. I think last year, basically everyone yeah. came and took a long time. And the comfort people have of going and showing that adoration and right. submission and gratitude to me is, is beautiful and heartwarming to know that connections are being made and people feel called to kneel at the cross and to, and to behold the wood of the cross mm-hmm. on which was hung their salvation right. is, is extraordinary. Um, I, lo- I like the Easter Vigil. By that time, the fatigue is catching yeah. up, and I'm not a night and our vigil is not late. It starts at 7.30, mm-hmm. which is still later than, than, than um, all of our other liturgies throughout the year, with the exception of Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And it's a long liturgy, and it's glorious, and it's good. Uh, I'm tired. when yeah. we get to the end? That's that holy fatigue. It's that holy fatigue. And then, um, of course, Easter Day is, is always just an event, and it's great. And by that point, it's sort of autopilot. Yeah. You know, and you're on a euphoria of having gone through the initial joy of the Holy Eucharist, then the stripping of the altar, Jesus is by himself, and our inability to stay with him at the, mm-hmm. at the watch all night long. Good Friday, you're tired, you're fasting, it's emotional. And then um, you come back on Saturday morning for the Liturgy of Holy Saturday, mm-hmm. which is basically a funeral service, the you know the burial of the dead or the, the office of the dead for Jesus, mm-hmm. and it's quiet. And that one actually gets me as well because yeah. it really is a stark, empty, mm-hmm. bare church, and there's really nothing there. And then to come back that evening and it's transformed, it's a lot. It and I, I wish people could experience it from beginning to end, and I know that schedules and work and all that make it make it not the easiest to do, but it really has to be experienced from beginning to end to fully understand.
1: It does, and even practically, um, we we follow a story. And so, you know, if you miss Maundy Thursday and you show up Good Friday, the altar is bare, you've missed why and what led up to that. You know, you show up on the great vigil, the triptych is opened, and you haven't been to church in two weeks. Well, you've missed the fact that it was closed to begin with, yeah. you know, and we were deprived of that. Um, for me, it's I think veneration of the cross always always similarly stands out for, for similar reasons. Um, I'm sure we're not alone in that. But I'm always struck by being asked to venerate the cross right after or even at the same time as I'm remembering what I did to put him on there. So, I mean, it is this, you know, human whiplash of, my sins put him on the cross. I crucified him, and now I'm venerating him on the very same cross that I just put him because on. Because he loves you and forgives exactly. you exactly, and it really is that that hard swing of I shouted crucify him, I wanted him dead, and now I'm going to venerate him on the very same cross. Um, and the only you know way that makes sense is if it is an unimaginable grace. I think also for me, it you know was one of those moments where I felt the call to the priesthood, um, because it was in the context of the triduum, this this heavy liturgical, you know, one service divided into three parts. But I was presenting Christ to people, um, and I will get the chance to sacramentally do that in a few weeks. Um, but I never, you know, participated in anything like that before, and I, you know, held the cross. And it was that... Um, priestly invitation to be the one who brings Jesus Christ and him crucified to people and to watch them one by one experience that transformation. Um, it was it was incredibly moving for me a few years ago when I when I did that for the first time. So I always look forward to it. It always takes me by surprise. I think I'm going to prepare myself for it. I think I'm going to be prepared for that whiplash. And then it happens all of a sudden. And I feel like I almost need that barren Holy Saturday morning to kind of yep. process everything and to sit with it um, and to give me a chance to come back Saturday night and say, okay, now I'm ready. Um, but I almost need that that period to kind of sit with it and say, you know, what has just happened? Let me, let me sit with this for a second.
0: My two concluding thoughts, and I'm looking at the clock. We have the noon mass coming up, mm-hmm. is the first one is... Oftentimes, I think when people travel and they experience other religions and they see their rituals and they see the imagery and how th- that they are able to embody what they believe, yeah. they f- people, Christians, forget we have yeah. that as well. And it is on full display on Holy Week. Um, this is every day, and there's something different every day. And I think that we should not at all be ashamed or embarrassed to not just lean into this, but to jump all Mm -hmm. the way in Mm -hmm. and to live this life and to recognize this is our faith, this is our religion that communicates the power of the life, death, and Mm -hmm. resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is uniquely ours in that it's a gift to us and a gift to the world. At the same time, and we were talking about this yesterday, what also strikes me and moves me in a way is that, that the whole world... While this is yeah. going on, most of the world is completely and totally oblivious yeah. to what we are doing. Now, this parish is the buildings, they are all situated in a neighborhood. Yeah. All the houses around us, even though we invite and you know they know we're here, they are going on with their lives. Yeah. And I know that during the veneration of the cross on Friday... We'll probably hear the laughter from a from a cookout. We might hear the hum of a lawnmower as yeah. someone is cutting their grass just before the sun sets. And so this is happening. Jesus Christ has died for their sins, mm-hmm. and they're completely oblivious to what is yeah. going on. And I, I told you in my last parish, the, the church was right on the main street. And I remember during the veneration of the cross, Cars driving by with loud radios and people walking by, having no idea of what was happening in the walls of that church building, which makes me think about when he died on the cross, the whole world had no idea mm-hmm. what was happening in that moment. How extraordinary, how how not just life-changing, but 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 altered the cosmos right. on that moment. And, and that's, again, kind of the isolation that yeah. he has that we are joined with him. Everyone has left, but we're there to pray on behalf of the world mm-hmm. as he died for
1: the world. And that should be a great challenge for us. That, um, you know, the parable of the person who finds the hidden treasure and sells everything he has to go and find it. We, we have found something transformative, and the world sleeps around us, the world is unaware. Um, sometimes because they've chosen to be, but sometimes because they've never been made aware of it. So, you know, it is our task to bring that transformation to all the people we encounter. So we've got new Mass uh, here in a few minutes, so we're going to cut out a little bit early, but um, the Triduum starts tomorrow, Monday, Thursday. If you happen to listen to this Wednesday night or before Thursday night, uh, make plans and, and come and join us if you are in the area. Commit to these next three days, um, and don't to the best of your ability, don't don't piecemeal them because you really will miss key portions of of the drama that is unfolding. Let us close in prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, and hallowed be thy, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy, thy will be done, done, on done on earth as it is in heaven, give, give us, us this day our daily bread, and, and forgive us our, our trespasses. trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore.